The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Children are very interesting creatures, and writing about them can be either extremely fun uh, or extremely difficult, or both. <laughs> it's, it's a complicated thing. And I think about this all the time because I am a mom. As you know, I have three amazing, uh, challenging, interesting children whom I love very much. And because of that, I'm always thinking about how children are portrayed in literature. And I've noticed a couple of trends, and I thought today we would talk about how to write realistic children because I get tired of seeing <laughs> Uh, you know, stereotypes of kids and there's like one kind of kid all the time, like either the kid's like a brat or the kid's super smart and super polite. And uh, the truth is that children, like all other human beings, have good days and bad days and they're all individual and they act and behave differently than each other. And that is something that gets lost, I feel like, in a lot of writing and there are a lot of popular books that adolescents and younger children read, and these types of storytellers are better at creating those nuanced situations with children and how complicated children are. And so I thought, why don't we talk about those things and we can translate that into our non-child uh, targeted books? Because right, you can't target a book to a, a college student and a five-year-old at the same time. The reading level, first of all, is not there. Uh, we were talking about Enola Holmes, which is the uh, new Sherlock Holmes-type uh, movie on Netflix because we watched it as a family last weekend. You know, we watch a family every Friday night or Saturday night, basically. One of those nights, we try to have a family time where we watch something, and then we discuss what we watched. And so we watched Enola Holmes, and then um, Travis, my husband, looked up the books, and my son, who is eight, was like, when can I read these books? And I was like, oh, well, uh, <laughs> I don't think you can read them yet just because the vocabulary is going to be way above what you can understand at this moment in time, but you can definitely read them once your reading level gets a little bit higher. And I might have to rethink that because now that I'm reviewing in my head what my son can read, uh, he reads the Bible with us every other night. Or I mean, we try to do it every night. It doesn't always work out that way. And he can read really large words because... <laughs> He's basically grown up 
with the Bible, which is full of complicated vocabulary. So, you know, maybe I'll just get the first uh, Enola Holmes book and take a look at that. But the thing is that Enola, who is not yet an adult, is portrayed as having these adult uh, abilities and comprehension. And the point of the story is that her mom's been preparing her for something. And even she uh, has the chance to exceed her mother's expectations in that story. The interesting thing about those books is that there is a copyright lawsuit going on because uh, not all of the Sherlock's Holmes stories have passed into public domain yet. And so the people who own uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's copyrights, they are suing the writer of the Enola Holmes stories because the portrayal of Sherlock is more emotional and that doesn't happen in the stories, uh, in the original Sherlock stories until these books that are not yet in public domain. So I'm definitely going to be following the legality of that case and the court's decision because that matters to us as writers and what we can and can't do. Uh, and I, I don't personally think that they, sh the copyright holders should be able to sue because, uh, yes, he's using a character that maybe seems more emotional, but you can take a character that's in public domain and do pretty much whatever you want to them. So I'm interested to see how this is going to play out. And that's a fun side note. And I'm going to do a whole episode about that once this whole thing plays out. Um, but so kids have complicated ideas too. And my son thought that this book was really good. And to him, he doesn't understand why can't I just read every book. But the truth is he can't read every book yet. At some point he will be able to. And so... If your story's for adults and you want to include realistic children characters, that's this episode is for you. And if that is your goal, I thank you. I applaud you. Uh, as someone who understands how complicated and individual children are, I applaud your efforts and I want to help you if that is your goal. And if it's not your goal, maybe still listen to this episode because I hope it will be your goal someday. Maybe I can convince you of the worth of having a realistic uh, child character by the end of this episode. So the first thing that you need to think about when you're writing a child character is the way that they act or think in context of their age, their personality, and their intelligence. So those are three different uh, factors that I don't think authors usually consider when they're writing about children. And in fact, maybe I will make a worksheet because that's the kind of thing I do. Uh, and I'll use it for myself and I'll probably put it up on my website, on the Literary Symmetry website, so that you can, um, you can use it yourself. And so I'll add the link to that in the info of this episode retrospectively once I, once I create that. Uh, I have found usually that children are written to be uh, more ig ignorant or innocent than they would be or that they're overly intelligent for their age. And one of the ways that I can tell that the author hasn't really paid very close attention to this is th the words that they use. And I know I promised... I wasn't going to talk about Sophia Choi's uh, story Flashlight again for a few episodes. I think I have 
lived up to that promise. <laughs> so I'm going to bring it up again because in that story, the character is in fifth grade, which means that they are 10 or 11, depending on when their birthday falls. And the way that that fifth grader thinks, although she has been uh, exposed to death, which kind of makes kids a little bit more mature. Oh, and the main character's name is Louisa, by the way, like in Bob's Burgers, uh, Louise. You know, that, that reminds me of that. So Louisa is a fifth grader, and she thinks the word undoubtedly at one point, and I'm like, wait, what? No. No, no. <laughs> I just don't buy it. Uh, I have an 11-year-old right now, and she is very intellectual and thoughtful, but I've never heard her say the word undoubtedly. And it's something that Travis and I use. So I don't, you know, <laughs> I just don't buy it in this specific context. Uh, one of my son's first words was actually, which was very interesting. And he totally overused it all the time. But imagine a two-year-old walking around and being like, actually this one word sentence, actually that another. <laughs> so that is what he was like. So maybe if that was her one like fancy word, if that was Louisa's one fancy word that she said undoubtedly, or she thought undoubtedly, but it only happens once. It doesn't seem like it's part of her normal vocabulary. And I think that that was um, a slip by the author. And she kind of forgot whose head she was in. And that's why you need some kind of worksheet uh, or a thing that you can reference so that you can remember whose head you're in when you're writing the thoughts of the kid or you're writing the words of the kid. And so you need to figure out something in between ignorant and intelligent, like overly intelligent, because that's where most kids are. That's just the truth. And when we write these like overly stereotyped children characters, I don't understand why. Why would you do that? Because if you want your story to feel more realistic, and remember in the last episode we talked about how, or not the last, not the last episode was on writer's block, but the episode before that, uh, we talked about how readers' brains will be more easily tricked into thinking that the story is real if the things in the story are realistic. And I don't mean like that there are no dragons because... Who doesn't love a dragon? I love dragons. I personally uh, hope that at some point I will get to ride a dragon. I know that's not a realistic goal, but you know, you never know. Maybe a robot dragon. Who knows? But so I'm not saying there can't be any fantasy or magic elements or science fiction elements. But what I'm saying is the characters need to feel real. And when you write children on this, uh, like, uh, what is it? Teeter-totter of like, super dumb or super smart, you're not going to have an easy time convincing the reader that that's a realistic character and that's what you want to be able to do. So you need to either be around kids that are the age of the child that you're writing or, uh, you know, interview a parent. That's something that we do in my writing group, which has been on hiatus for such a long time because of COVID, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, at the Greensburg Writers Group, people who don't have kids will write down questions and ask all of the moms and dads in the group. And then we'll be like, oh, yeah, they would totally do that. Oh, no, I don't think that they would do that at that age unless this is the case or, you know. So we bounce ideas off of each other 
And if you're part of a writing group, you should do that if you have a child character. You know, write down a list of questions and ask the parents in the group uh, if they think that those things would fit that age group in that specific part of the world. And that's also something to take into consideration when you're writing children is you have to be culturally sensitive uh, because there are a lot of stereotypes that we thrust onto uh, more diverse characters that I think are really unfair. And so if you're going to write a child character that is not from your culture, you also need to ask those types of questions like what would they eat for breakfast? Uh, you know, those are those are going to those questions will be answered differently depending on what culture and background the child and their parents come from. So that's another consideration that you have to take. Uh, for example, in Greece, you know, a child might have a teropita, uh, which is a cheese pie for breakfast. And that doesn't sound like a very breakfasty food for an American. And when I was there, I was like, oh. Okay, but then I ate one and I was like, dang, I would eat this for any meal. And I really miss cheese pies. I really miss ham cheese pies. And they have like this little layer of tomato sauce. Oh, gosh, they're so good. They're made on like this crispy, crunchy filo dough. It's so greasy and delicious, but not like as greasy as burek, which is a Serbian bread type thing that last time I ate it, I wanted to die because I don't have a gallbladder. So I don't know how I ended up talking about delicious foods. Yeah, cultural cultural um, realism, I guess. So, and you need to think about these things. There's a new Respect song, uh, and it talks about eating yellow rice and chicken for breakfast, which uh, I assume was something that they did that's a, a, a reference to African-American culture, which I love. So I love this type of storytelling where they get it right. And if you are going to write something that is not within your realm of experience, always, always, always ask someone who has experience in that realm so that you get it right and you don't offend readers. And also uh, it makes it seem more realistic. And one of the things that people want when they read is to enter into an experience that feels similar enough that it's part of the human experience, but that also grows their understanding of the world in a cultural way. So these are all good things you can add, specifically with children characters. You need to talk to people, uh, if you're not around children yourself, to understand the details that, that they someone who is around children all the time will notice and then think about how many people in this world are often around children. And that's why, and I know the, the saying like we all used to be children is kind of relevant, but if I was writing a book about modern day teenagers, I wouldn't depend on my experience as a teenager, which was uh, full of things like cassette tapes and uh, landline phones, I wouldn't expect that experience to transfer over into what a modern teenager experiences now. I would interview my daughter and her friends, my oldest daughter, to find out different things, uh, but not slang. And I'll talk about slang in another episode. Actually, that's a good idea. I can do that after this episode. Just gonna make myself a little note here. So these are all different ideas that we have about, like, we have these ideas in our head of what we were like as children, and that doesn't necessarily 
transfer over into all children. And so it's good to interview someone or go be around children so that you can notice the way that they think. Or uh, even I was driving down the street the other day and I saw um, we have like really good friends that live just uh, two blocks over from us and they live across the street from each other. And it's really awesome. I love it. And so I looked and I saw uh, our friends were outside doing some work on the house and they had their two-year-old standing there holding a drill. And I was like, dang, I was impressed. And I told I told the two-year-old's father this. Uh, I was like, I would never have been able to do that with my kids because they would have just tried to run into the street. And like, definitely Timo would not have been my son. He would not have been able to stand there and hold a drill at two years old and watch Travis working on uh, the drainage system, which is what they were working on. And he's like, yeah, yeah, the, the two-year-old's dad's like, well, you know, he really likes drills. So if I just hand that to him, he'll just be very happy and stand still holding it. And so that's something that I could use to write a toddler because I don't have toddlers anymore. And uh, every toddler is different. And that's that was the point of that story that my son, when he was a toddler, he was a runner. And oh my gosh, he scared me to death so many times. And I had my oldest daughter was like seven when my son started, well, like six, seven when my son started finally like running. And uh, so she would run and catch him for me because I had some health issues at that point and I could, I could not keep up with him. So, you know, it's good to know different, different families, different friends who have kids at different ages because you can remember those things as a parent or you can ask them things since they're parenting a different kid. And that's what I would like to see more of is writing children characters that are as individual as children actually are. Instead of always making them like, oh, dumb and they don't know what's going on. Or making them super, super smart to where they understand every nuance of what the situation is. And that's not realistic. And you know what else is realistic, though, that has kind of... um I feel like people think it's annoying and so they don't write it in books anymore is that children ask questions. And I'm not saying to include every kind of question a child would ask, but it's in a child's nature to ask questions. And you can use those questions as a type of device to further your plot because you can have the kid ask something that maybe the reader is wondering to the protagonist or supporting character and answer it that way. And it's more effortless and it doesn't seem forced. So there are a lot of useful things you can use child characters for, and they're not an inconvenience, just like children in real life are not an inconvenience. Yes, it is work to raise a child, but you're doing something to shape the future of our existence, and that's worthwhile. And including that aspect of life into your book is also worthwhile, And I hope that from now on, you will go forward and include child characters and talk to your friends who have kids and go be around their kids and get inspired to write a child that's not so one-dimensional because real children aren't that way. All of them are different, and they're not always on these crazy extremes. And I would love to see that represented in more stories, and I would love to hear about your experience writing about that in your story. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram 
at kristen.n.spencer. And I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing. <laughs>